0: This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. I almost feel like I need to go back and re-listen to all my old ones because I don't ever remember it sounding that bad, but maybe, (laughs) maybe my memory is just messed up. Hi, party people. This is Cabernet and True Crime, as I'm sure you heard. Uh yeah, today has been quite the wild ride of a day. Uh, I started the morning with a migraine, still have a migraine, will not go away. Uh, and then I <laughs> had like the worst day of work I've ever had in my life. Also very cool. Uh, but you know what? Ain't gonna let that get in the way of coming here today and talking shit. Cause you know, that's what we're here for. So if I can paint a picture for you, I am in my fuzzy pink house coat with socks on. Uh, Hair a mess, Um, eyes are probably a little messed up from crying because you know, wouldn't be Monday with a little bit of crying, right? Right? And uh, we're going real strong right into episode forty-five. So what an achievement! (laughs) I think I'm not sure. We're just gonna keep trucking right along. And this week, that's just that's my intro. There you go. I had a bad day, and here we are now. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about Catherine mon Voisin, and i can already tell you i'm gonna butcher this a million times uh, i took french in high school and i was actually really really good at it and i don't know what happened to me between then and now but my brain has turned into mush and now i don't really know any french anymore so that's my short story that's my origin story but so catherine mon Vosan, which once again if french is your native language i apologize in advance I mean, here, that, it is, that's what it's going to (laughs) be. That's how it's going to be. So, uh, so Catherine, we're just going to call her Catherine from now on. So just follow, follow me. She was, depending on who you ask, a French fortune teller, a commissioned poisoner, and a professional provider of alleged sorcery, which I hope someday people can say that about me. (laughs) now because this is a true crime podcast i don't usually feel the need to put a trigger warning on my episodes because most people assume that somebody's going to get murdered in this episode based off of the type of podcast that you have chosen to listen to however uh this true crime podcast is a topic that i don't normally talk about there is mention of abortion and not-so-pretty things allegedly being done after said abortion. And I don't spend a lot of time talking about it, and I'm try- like literally just trying to get the point across, but if that's something that'll bother you, I'll give you a warning when we get closer. I'll try to spend less than 15 seconds talking about it so you can skip. So I just... Like I said, I normally don't bother doing trigger warnings, but that might be something that might bother somebody, and so I figured right off the rip, if that's something that's going to bother you, it will come up eventually, but it's not an overlying theme in this podcast. So, with that with that, we can continue on. So, Catherine was originally born as Catherine Duchesne in 1640. She was born in villeneuve sur Gravois in Paris, France which while trying to Google that area, it only delivered more results about this woman, which you would assume isn't very helpful, but that's fine. So, I I did go down a little rabbit hole, which if you've been here for a while, you know that that's just my style. I like to know things about other things that I don't know about. So, Parisian cities are weird, and I did know this because I, like, once again, took French class, but Parisian cities are weird. They're broken down into arrondissements, which is uh, a French word, obviously, but they're kind of like districts or like boroughs. And the Villa Neuve sur Gravois was in the second district, which is the smallest one of Paris, but the most dynamic, and I use air quotes. It was developed around the ancient roads that linked Paris to other provinces, and the area has 163 protected monuments and buildings. So, it's actually kind of cool. I think it'd be neat to go there someday because it still has so much history to it. Uh, the area now is called Quartier de Bonne Nouvelle, which was developed during the Middle Ages along the wall of Philip II Augustus, which was King Philip II of France. And that wall is the oldest wall in the city of Paris that's still standing. So, this this district was built up against that wall. The... Courtier de Bonne Nouvelle was known for being a kingdom of 'er ne'er-do-wells, i.e. lawbreakers. Apparently, there's a hill there called the Butte de Bonne Nouvelle, but every article I tried to find about it was, in fact, in French, and I have a moderate understanding of the language but not enough to decipher full articles, and Google Translate is helpful but definitely not perfect. And I, I think you're like, Janna, this is really off topic. Why are we talking about this? And I will tell you the one interesting thing about Butte de Bonneville is that it's a hill made out of trash or uh, poop, depending on how you want to interpret that. And uh, there you go. And I kind of related to that because if you never knew, um, I, I love Cleveland history because I'm from Cleveland. And I found out when I was researching my Cleveland Torso Killer well, every time I've ever covered that, which is like six times, <laughs> and I'm gonna do it again because I'm gonna get this one right. I love, I love that story, the the Cleveland Torso Killers, So if that's interesting to you, I actually do want to do a whole series on like Northeast Ohio true crime because I'm from Northeast Ohio. But I, I sorry, I went off on a tangent. But the First Energy Stadium, which is where the Browns play, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and also the Science Center are all built on trash. Yes. <laughs> Feel free to make a Browns joke here if you'd like to. I can't hear you, so that works perfectly fine for me. But yeah, it's all built on trash, so uh yeah there there you go. That's that what that's what it was. And um back when Catherine lived there, this was still called the Villa Neuve Sur Grova, and there was, to my knowledge, no trash hill, I think that came after her. But neither here nor there. So our girl Catherine married a man named Antoine. Mon Voisin, with the name that I can't say, he was a jeweler and a silk merchant. He had a shop on Pont-Marie in Paris, and Pont-Marie is a bridge that crosses the Seine in Paris, which is one of the oldest bridges in Paris and was completed in 1635. Back then, though, uh, there were houses built on top of the bridge, which you can see pictures of this, well, drawings of it, and that seems like a really awful idea to build your house on a bridge, But that's, I guess, my own personal opinion. And then a flood happened in 1658 and ruined the housing and killed about 60 people. And the bridge was rebuilt after this. And it wasn't until 1740 that the French French elite, like the leaders of France, were like, hey, stop building your houses on this thing. And in 1788, houses were forbidden to be built on bridges throughout the whole city, which seems logical to me. At some point, Antoine, if you remember, our jeweler and silk merchant, his dream crumbles because his, his trade business leads to bankruptcy. Is that related to the buildings on the bridge? I don't know. It could be. And um, that's up to your imagination. Either way, Antoine lost his job and he was poor now. And at this point, Catherine supported her family by practicing chiromancy, which is palm reading and face reading. From my understanding, face reading is just like palm reading, um, basically looking at attributes of the face and determining stuff about a person's character based on that. So very cool. Um, like that she's supporting the family. Catherine was not just your average fortune teller. She was also a midwife, which at some point turned her in, turned her into helping people have abortions. Uh, her clients included wealthy members of aristocracy and she had an abortion, or sorry, she had a network of abortion providers that worked for her. This isn't the gross part yet, and this is stating facts. They would receive their clients from Catherine who would refer them but took a major cut of the cost. So she was making Mad Bank, which, good for her, we support that. By the late 1660s, she had become known as La Voisin, which I thought was going to be, like, you know, because she's, like, a palm reader, and, you know, like, she she had some cool jobs and like you know but no it just stands for neighbor la Voisin stands for neighbor which is a shocking turn of events for me (laughs) but for anybody else i apparently think that's probably not that crazy but regardless she was a wealthy fortune teller who was famous and she had clients among the highest aristocracy of france she lived in villeneuve sur grova took her clients during the day and entertained the parisian elite in her garden at night i don't know why they called her the neighbor that's just up to your imagination, I suppose. She later talked about her job as a fortune teller, saying that she had simply used the, God, the gift God had given her. She said she had been taught how to tell fortunes at nine, and once her husband ruined himself financially, her skill came in handy. She studied the modern methods at the time of palm reading, and she had spent a lot of money to give herself the air of a reputable psychic, buying herself a red velvet robe, probably much like Well, probably nothing like the one I'm wearing right now, which was embroidered with a golden eagle to perform in, um, which is all very cool for her. I mean, she had a knack, she had a talent, she got a following, and she ran with it. Love that. Love an entrepreneurial... Wow. I'm not going to try again. A business savvy woman. We love that for her. In 1664 or 1665, she was questioned by the Congregation of the Mission about her quote unquote, divination. And for sake of discussion and time, because this could be a whole other rabbit hole on its own, the congregation of the mission, simply put, are people affiliated with the Catholic Church. It's way more complicated than that, but not exactly relevant to the storyline here. Um, All you really need to know is that the Catholic Church questioned her, and apparently she gave a good enough defense and was allowed to continue her business as a fortune teller after that point. So during her activity as a fortune teller, Catherine started to notice a lot of similarities among her clients' wishes about their future. Almost everyone wanted someone to fall in love with them, that someone would die so they might inherit their money, or that their spouses would die so they might marry somebody else. Three driving factors of life, I suppose. So, for those clients who wished for someone to fall in love with them, she manufactured love powders using bones of toads, the teeth of moles, Spanish fly, iron filings, human blood, and mummy aka the dust of human remains, were all among the alleged ingredients of the love powders concocted by Lavoisin. Her business therefore evolved from telling people their future to selling magical objects and potions, arranging black masses, and selling things like aphrodisiacs and poisons, which when I looked up black masses, I accidentally googled back masses, and I got a very different Google search than what you'd think, and then I was really confused as to why Black masses came up, and I, it was just, listen, I just thought you should know about my trials and tribulations. Uh, black masses, if you don't know, because I didn't know, take the Catholic mass and invert it to mock the Catholic, ca- ooh, to mock the Catholic celebration. Don't know why my brain did that. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ins and outs to it, and I don't know how important that is to the overall story, so I'll keep trucking on, but basically, Catherine was really doing a big old FU to the Catholic Church at this point, which she kind of has been this whole time, and she's going to get real deep into this FU of the Catholic Church, but the Black Masses are definitely a, a turning, this is whole, all kind of a turning point for her, right? But so this, this upcoming part is the gross baby part, so I'm giving you five, four, three, two, and 1 to click away. So in her... Black masses, she arranged for clients for profit, uh, during which the client would pray to Satan for their wish to come true. And during at least some of these masses, a woman performed as an altar upon which a bowl was placed, a baby was held above the bowl, and the blood from it was poured into the bowl. Whether the baby in question was actually killed on this occasion or whether the baby was already dead by natural causes, such as being a stillborn, could vary. I don't know. It was, And there's somewhere further down the line that people say, It wasn't even real. Unknown, but it is something to note. And so that's the end of that. Above all this, though, she was also selling magical potions, amulets, and rituals. She was selling love potions, but also poisons in the case where her clients really wanted somebody to die. The art of poisoning was a regular practice by them, and it had apparently been perfected by Julia Tafana, who was a professional female poisoner in Italy. She had mastered the art only a few decades before La Bozon, and Giulia Tafana was the inventor of the famous poison, aqua Tafana, which was named after her in 1632. The ingredients of this mixture are basically known, but not how they were blended. Aqua Tafana contained mostly arsenic and lead and possibly some belladonna. It was colorless, tasteless, and therefore easily mixed with water or wine to be served during meals it was a strong poison that was reputedly widely used in naples perugia rome and rome sorry <laughs> Tafana made a good business for over 50 years selling her large productions and she employed her daughter and several other lady helpers so that aqua Tafana could go to would-be widows Catherine herself had a network of apothecaries around selling her goods, but apparently some notable people had immunities to them. So it's been suggested that maybe Catherine wasn't all that great at what she did as far as the poisoning goes. Which, understandable. I mean, it had to be kind of difficult to poison somebody, especially to poison them without them knowing that they're being poisoned. Because if you remember, like I said, the poisoning became an art back then, and people were getting poisoned left and right. Like, they had food tasters for kings, so they couldn't get poisoned. So, like... If if this was the time that you're really gonna try to poison somebody, now would not be the, like the best time because for the most part, people were really suspicious about being poisoned, <laughs> far less than now. Definitely back then, it's like you were just suspicious all the time that somebody was trying to kill you for some reason. So bad time to be in the poisoning business. Catherine herself, I don't think was a very good poisoner, but neither here nor there. I I cannot. I am an awful poisoner because I've never poisoned anybody on purpose, anyways. Maybe food point. I've probably food poisoned myself at least once or twice by eating questionable food. But that's, once again, neither here nor there. Terrible poisoner. She was medium at it. There you go. So, Catherine regularly went to church, surprisingly. Uh, but she practiced Jansenism, which is a movement that emphasized original sin, meaning humans are constant sinners since, since Adam and Eve. Human depravity, which every person born in this world is enslaved to the service of sin as a result of their fallen nature. They believed in the necessity of divine grace and predestination, which everything about Jansenism is a distinct movement away from the Catholic Church. So for Catherine, this is actually pretty on brand and not particularly surprising, but it is interesting to say that she was still going to church regularly during this whole time. Love was on, raked in so much cash that she was able to support her family of six, being her husband, her mother, her children, and herself. And on the side, Catherine was known to have at least six lovers, all pretty um, notable people. I mean, I have all their names, but they're all kind of hard to say, and I don't know how important they are. But she had an executioner, um, a vicomte, the count de Labati, an alchemist, an architect, and a magician. And which all seems like a lot to keep straight, but hey, when you're Catherine, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. Um, Once, the magician tried to get Catherine to kill her husband, and she agreed, agreed and almost went through with it, but changed her mind before she did anything, so good for her. She was interested in science and alchemy, which is the medieval forerunner of chemistry based on the supposed transformation of matter. She funded research avidly, even getting swindled by some con artists on occasion. Uh, Well, here's the big, here's the problem with Catherine. I mean, aside from everything else, but here's the problem with Catherine. She was a known alcoholic. She suffered from alcoholism. And I think that's where she started to get a little bit sloppy, why people, because for all things considered, she seems like a very intelligent person, very business savvy, very smart if she was into science and alchemy, she knew how to make potions. She knew how to, you know, she knew a lot of information. She was very much a renaissance woman, which I don't know what time frame that is in time, but she she was kind of a jack of all trades. She knew what she was doing. So I think her alcoholism, you know, really maybe made her not, of good, not as good of a poisoner as she could have been. She was, you know, sw- getting swindled by con artists. I think this, and this will be important later too, but it, it definitely, I think, plays into the fall of Catherine. And now would be a good time to mention that our girl Catherine had a rival. Her name was Marie Boss, and she she was also a French poisoner, fortune teller, and alleged witch. She was the widow of a horse trader and one of the most successful fortune tellers in Paris. Off the record, she was a poisoner who would give people poisons if they wanted to kill somebody. On the record... She was a fortune teller, I suppose. Um, Marie Boss knew about La supposed abortion practice, and she tried to turn her in for it. Marie said that the later termed fetuses were burned in the furnace of La home. And at this time, though... Louis XIV said that he wasn't concerned with that part of anything about on, what she was doing. And this, therefore, is the least known part of her business. So really, it just means that Marie Boss's c- claims could be lies. Like that whole, that whole everything we mentioned earlier about the babies could be completely wrong. It might not even be real. So we, we don't know. So Catherine is living her life. She's telling Fortune. She's giving people amulets, etc. She had a lucrative position, woo, lucrative profession, maybe position as well, and lived a very lavish life. And it seems like she had it made, really, but as everyone does, though, and I'm looking at you, Anna Marie Hahn, Catherine gets a little greedy. So Catherine gets a client named Madame de Montespan, and her real name is just far too long and far too French, and I'm going to butcher it, just even attempting, so we're just going to skip over it. We're going to call her Madame de Montespan. She's important because she was the Matrice and Titre to King Louis XIV of France. Matrice and Titre meant she was the chief mistress of the king. It was a semi-official position with came with its own apartments. And if you look on Wikipedia for the phrase, a lot of kings use this title. Weirdly, Louis XIV had fourteen Matrice and Titres. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. And our girl Madame de Montespan is eighth on the list and she was the Matrice Antitra from nineteen, or 19 whew, 1667 to 1691-ish. There's a ton of overlap, though, so I'm assuming the king could have more than one, but once again, not the rules on this are not entirely clear, and I really, just because it's a monarchy, really not sure if there were even rules, because I feel like kings can just do whatever they want. So Madame de Montespan gave Louis XIV seven children. And she had been born into one of the oldest noble families of France, and for some, she was referred to as the true cru- woo, true queen of France because of her influence at court during her time there. And also, I don't know why I keep wooing every time I mess up. It's really annoying to myself, so I'm apologizing for you. I don't really ever do that, so I wish I would stop. <laughs> so, uh, Madame de Montespan, her so-called reign lasted from around 1667 when she first danced with Louis XIV at a ball hosted by the king's younger brother, Philip, the Duke of Orleans, at the Louvre, until her alleged involvement in the notorious Affaire de Poison, Affair of Poisons, in the late 1670s to 1680s, which is the large event that we are making our way to. Sorry, there's a whole bunch of backstory that you had to know before we got here, because it all is going to be important, later. So Catherine and Madame de Montespan knew each other because it's alleged that Madame de Montespan hired Lavoisin to have a black mass in order to win the love of the king. That same year, 1667, as I said before, she danced with him and became the matrice on Titre. So anytime Adam, what, why do I keep doing that? (laughs) Anytime Madame de Montespan had an issue with Louis, she went back to Catherine. In 1673, the king's interest in Montespan started to drift, so she turned to good old Catherine and did a series of black masses. Montespan was also given some aphrodisiacs to use on the king. In 1677, so this worked for a couple years, like four years in 1677 montespan made it clear that if the king should abandon her she would have him killed which seems like a really drastic ultimatum am i like am i right because you could just still be couldn't you still just be a matris and tetra and like live your life if he could have multiple why it just seems really drastic it's uh, ultimatums like that uh, really don't work out for anybody for the most part But like, you do you that's fine so by 1679, King Louis started a relationship with Angelique de Fontaine. Madame de Montespan told Catherine she wanted the king and Angelique killed. Catherine was very difficult to, to persuade, but eventually she agreed and constructed a plan to kill them. She had other poisoners with her on the plot as well, and the plan was to murder the king by poisoning a petition and then delivering it to him. Wow, I don't know if you heard that, but that's that's the peen machine, Penny Girl sniffing under the door really hard and like I said oh if you're new here this is unedited and I don't I don't cut anything so (laughs) you just get raw and pure chaos so uh sorry the plan was to murder the king by poisoning a petition and giving it to him petition is like uh you go to the king and you're like hey I have this problem and then you hand him a piece of paper and then he opens it boom you're poisoned you're dead bingo bingo so on March 5th 1679 Catherine goes to the royal court to deliver the petition, but there were too many petitioners, and he didn't take their petitions. So the petition was ultimately burned, and a new plan was about to take place. A little backstory: The king's sister-in-law, Henrietta of England, a.k.a. the Duchess de Orleans, had died in 1670. The cause of death was ruled as a poison. The final cause of death now was from gastroenteritis, but at the time, people were sure it was poison which, I mean, if you've ever had gastrointestinal issues, you'd also think you've been poisoned, which is why my poisoning skills are unknown, (laughs) because I have intestinal problems. Welcome to my TED Talk. There were also, um, yeah, so 1670, she had gastroenteritis. Everybody thought she died from poison, In in 1676, there was a whole bunch of executions of poisoners that had just taken place. There was a huge concern for poisonings. Like I said earlier, this was the height of people being poisoned and people were really on edge about being poisoned. So now would not be a really good time to poison somebody, especially like the king. Seems kind of like a drastic thing to do and maybe you should just move on with your life. But hey, you want to poison a king? Fine, I guess. I I'm not going to I'm not going to help you, but if you want to, that's fine. Go for it. In 1677, a fortune teller named Magdalene de Lagrange was arrested for poisoning and during her questioning claimed that she had information of high important crimes. Then Mary Boss and Marie Vigaro were arrested in 1679. Boss attended a party held by her friend Marie Vigaro, the wife of a dressmaker in Rue Courtavelin, Sure. During the party, she became drunk and boasted freely that she'd become so wealthy by selling deadly poisons to members of the aristocracy that she would soon be able to retire. At the time, the Paris police was investigating poison sales in Paris. A guest at the party, the lawyer, Maître Perrin reported the conversation to police the police sent the wife of the police officer to boss to ask for poison to murder her husband and boss provided her with what proved to be a deadly poison so the two marie's marie squared jail boom uh for selling poison to a cop i mean yeah basically so poison to a cop that was a really bad move marie boss thought you were better than that Not so great of a poisoner after all. On the morning of January 4th, 1679, Marie Boss was arrested with her daughter and her sons, and her older son was a soldier in the Royal Guard. The younger one was recently released from a working house. According to the report, when the family was arrested, they were found in the only bed in the house and had committed incest. Very weird. Don't know what that has to do with anything. Back then, P- well, incest is gross, don't get me wrong, back then it seemed like a weird thing to add to the report, but fi- you know, fine, whatever. Don't know if we needed to know that, fine. Marie Vigoro was arrested the same day and was found to have close ties to the family as she had sexual relations with all the members of the family, once again. Don't really know the importance of that, but they mentioned it, so I'm telling you because it's one of those. If I had to, if I had to have that in my brain now, you have to have it in your brain. They were all banging each other. Marie Vigoro died during interrogation under torture on May 9th, sixteen seventy nine. So Marie Boss, she's still alive. Um. Well, she wasn't then. Sorry, just kidding. My timeline's all messed up. But Marie Boss was condemned to death by burning and executed in Paris on May 8th of 1679. Uh, her children and associates were also sentenced to death. Some Marie Vigoreau died during interrogation the next day. Their confessions revealed that the illegal sale of poison in the capital was handled by a network of fortune tellers. Which I think they probably could have caught to that a little quicker than they did, but that's also fine. This led to the arrest... Of Catherine and the opening of the poison affair. To back up a little bit, before uh, the Marie's were handled, on March 12th of 1679, Catherine was arrested outside the Notre Dame de Bonne Nouvelle after having heard Mass, so she was arrested outside of church. On December 27, 1679, Louis XIV issued an order that the whole network should be exterminated by all methods, regardless of the rank, sex, or age. Anyone associated with the network of poisoners was to be arrested and executed." Unlike the Maries, so Marie Boss and Marie Vigoro, Catherine was not tortured, although the interrogators were given permission to do so. And actually, historians believe that was because if they thought if Catherine was tortured, she would out the names of a lot of higher-up people. So they thought maybe she might pull an Epstein, even though he never got to do that. Uh, but I think they thought that he, she was going to rat out some very important people who were part of the Poison Network. And because Louis XIV said it didn't matter how high ranked you were, what, how old you were, what sex you were, they were very, she was going to out important people. So they did not torture her. Um, they did know, however, that Catherine was an alcoholic and they kept her highly intoxicated during all the interviews and hoped that she would be honest without being tortured. She said, so Catherine during her interrogation said that all of her clients that she ever got that wanted poisons, she sent them to Marie Boss, (laughs) which is like a really great idea because like, you know, I mean, Marie was already in jail and they were already like, they already hated each other and they already had enough proof against Marie Boss that they were just like, it was a good move on her part. I mean, she obviously killed people, but to like to like as a save-your-own-skin type move, I'll give her credit, that was pretty smart. She said she didn't even sell poisons. Unfortunately, though, because they kept her so intoxicated, she admitted to having sold poison and magical services to several members of the royal court, and she also described the development of her career, which is why we know this. So she tried and didn't didn't do great. But, you know, she, it was a smart idea. I'll give her that. Um, Catherine left out entirely everything with Madame de Montespan. She never talked about a single thing they did, even the aphrodisiac. She never even mentioned meeting her or knowing her or anything because she was scared that she would be executed for regicide if they knew anything about the plans. And actually, her list of clients... So everything involving the black masses, her connection to Montespan and the murder and all of that was not even released until after Catherine was already dead. Her daughter um, revealed that after the fact, which was kind of cool. Catherine also fully denied every claim made against her about the abortions, uh, saying that she said she never did anything with them, so the black masses, she said she never helped women do anything. That was all just a lie. So, she, yeah, she completely said she never did any of that, and that's just the way it was. So, on February 17th, 1680, Catherine uh, moin was convicted of witchcraft to execution by burning. She was executed in the public at Place de Greve, Um, On February 22nd, 1680, on the way to her execution, she pushed away the priest, and when she was tied to the stake, desperately pushed away the hay that was piled around her. Uh, It is interesting to note, which Catherine's whole thing with uh, Madame de Montespan, I really don't think it completely... Screwed her over because it doesn't seem like anybody ever even knew about that until after she was already executed. So, but it is. So, I mean, I think she was going down anyways, just because that was the way it was going down. The whole network was falling, and I mean, obviously Catherine was part of that network, and it seemed like they really tried. Which I mean, good on them, like the French government for for getting this network under control because obviously they were there was a lot of people dying by poison and that's obviously not good it, it's good for them sorry uh it just it's interesting to note that angelique the woman who madame de montespan was so worried about died of natural causes in 1681 and it actually fueled further arrests <laughs> but she died of natural causes during childbirth but people thought she'd been poisoned, and people had been arrested for it, but she was never poisoned. She, she just died on her own. So kind of like a plot twist to the whole thing that Madame de Montespan wanted to poison her so bad, but she actually just died on her own accord. So the poison affair, everything we talked about, which... <coughs> ooh, my phone almost just... <laughs> sorry. And I don't know why I wooed again. But so the poison affair, so the, it's, it's all of it. It's not just this event of Madame de Montespan and that whole thing but it's it's literally Marie Boss, you know, Catherine, everybody everybody else in this. But there were 442 suspects, 366 sorry, 367 orders of arrest were issued, of which 218 were carried out. Of the condemned, 36 were executed, 5 were sentenced to the galleys and 23 to exile. This excludes those who died in custody by torture or by suicide. Many accused were never even brought to trial, but placed outside the justice system and imprisoned for life by a lettre de cachet, which this is kind of crazy. I don't even know kings could do this, but like I said earlier, I guess kings can just do whatever they want. A lettre de cachet were letters signed by the king of France and, you know, sealed with royal seal or whatever, but they contained orders directly from the king, often to enforce arbitrary actions, and the judgments could not be appealed so it it was easy to imprison somebody without a trial without the opportunity for defense in like a state prison or an ordinary jail or you know whatever it was a you could confine somebody where they were without a single type of trial and just keep somebody in prison forever if you wanted to and these and actually one of the other things was transportation to the colonies or just being exiled. It didn't really matter. So, it, if you got one of these letters, it, it just kind of, <laughs> like, you had to do whatever it said to do. So, it, it's kind of wild that they could just do that, but, I mean, I guess not that wild at the time either. But the the letters were usually used against drunkards, troublemakers, sex workers, squanderers of family fortune, or insane persons, but apparently in this time, they also use it against suspected poisoners. Um... There's I have some statistics on the people who were condemned by Lettre de Cachet. So six women, eighteen men, twelve women. They, so they were just basically house prisoned, house prisoned. You know what I mean? Listen, guys, it's late. <laughs> I'm doing my best, and we're almost done. So I wish I could just not knock my phone off. So our girl, Madame de Montespam. Because I'm sure you're saying, Jana, what happened to this girl? (laughs) You're probably not. But so, our girl, Madame de Montespan, retired to a covenant in Paris in 1691 at 51 years old because she left quietly. So, I don't think it ever actually fully came out what happened with her. But because she was, you know retired because she was no longer the matrice and teacher, and obviously she had that beef with angelique so i you know in 1691 at 51 she left quietly she was given a pension of half a million francs and the king made her father a governor and her sister the abbess of a very wealth- wealthy monastery and a in her long retirement, Madame de Montespan donated vast sums to hospitals and charities. She lived the rest of her life in severe penance, and she died on May 27th, 1707 at 67 years old. That's my dad's birthday. Uh, she had been ill, not not in 1707. My dad's not that old. Uh, but she had been ill for some time before her death. Her children were forbade by the king to wear mourning for her. So she did get a little bit of a punishment. So whether it actually fully came out that Madame de Montespan was part of the whole, like, poisoning debacle I'm not entirely it was never like explicitly stated but I feel to some degree Louis XIV definitely had an idea that she was involved especially because she had of that beef with Angelique and she gave him that ultimatum that she's like oh if you pick Angelique I'm killing you which once again I don't know why you'd out yourself like that especially in the trying times where everybody's getting poisoned I think that was kind of a bold move she played her hands she played her hand in a bad way. There's a saying for that. I can't think of it. <laughs> she, she played her hand too early, and she should have just waited. Because now, like, if you give somebody the ultimatum, like, oh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna date that Angelique girl, I'm gonna kill you. Like, okay. What a weird. Okay, well then, what's gonna happen when you die? Like, you, I don't know. Fine. Um, regardless, happy true crime Tuesday. I didn't tell you guys that. Um, it's actually Monday right now, as it usually is. Listen, I'm rambling. It's fine. Um, yeah, so that's all I have for this. Catherine de, de, Catherine... Wow! Catherine Monvoisant. She's got a kind of a crazy story, and these are the ones that I like to do just because they're a little more in-depth. They're um, kind of like a little bit of a history lesson as well. I like to learn about, you know, the way things were and how people lived back then. I... I like history a lot. (laughs) It's my favorite. Well, aside from English, but it was my favorite uh, subject in school. Obviously French. I liked my French teacher, but I wasn't good at French and I hated, liked my math teacher. I also hated math. I still hate math. I'm very bad at it and that's okay. You're allowed to be bad at stuff. That's, that's the rules of the Monday. That's like, yeah, here we go. Here's like, you're allowed to be bad at stuff. But don't let it get you down because everybody's bad at something. They might not tell you, but everybody's bad at something, and that's life, and that's how she goes. So with that being said, I'll stop rambling, and um, happy True Crime Tuesday. I hope you all enjoyed this, and I will see you True Crime Thursday. See, look at this. We're rocking. We're rolling. Doubles. Double cases every week. Bang, bang, boom. Um, On YouTube. If you don't know, I am Cabernet and True Crime on YouTube and Instagram, and everywhere you listen to anything, if, if you type in Cabernet and True Crime, I'm probably there, baby. So, uh, yeah, you can find me, and I post stuff, and I have a YouTube channel, and that's the way she goes. And so, with that being said, I'm going to go take a bath. That just sounds delightful right now. And um, yeah, I'll catch you on the flip side.